0: I'm Natasha Madoff, and this is Artist Planet. This is my conversation with conceptual artist Meg Cranston, who creates sculptures, paintings, and installations with an air whimsy that often belies the symbolism and deeper implications of the ideas she explores. Her interest lies in the symbiotic relationship between identity and branding. In 1992, she was part of the Helter Skelter exhibition at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles. She has shown work in the Venice Biennale, at Art Basel, at museums including the Hammer, the Getty, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, and at prestigious galleries all around the world. Her books include Hot Pants in a Cold, Cold World and Good Morning, Evil Genius. Hi, Meg. Thank you so much for being part of this series. And um, I admire your work. And I want to know more about you as an artist, and let's start with a big quest- question: which is, who are you, and how do you survive as an artist on this planet?
1: <laughs> I am, so I'm Meg Cranston, and uh, yes, I'm an artist. Um, I've been working as an artist since the um, late '80s. Uh, I went to art school um, out here in California at Cal Arts. Uh, previously, I studied uh, social science. I studied anthropology and, sociolo- and sociology. Uh, so, so I'm an artist. I, I work, my, my uh, work's pretty broad. I uh, at, at present, I doing a lot of painting, but I've done performance and sculpture and all kinds of things. I also, uh, write a little bit, um, curate reluctantly, but I do curate sometimes because I, I, I think it's great if artists are willing to curate. Um, and uh, I teach at uh, Otis College of Art and Design uh, and uh, I'm the chair at the, of the art department.
0: Great, and do you feel like there was a, like how did you become an artist? Like was there a seminal moment or was an evolution? What was it for you?
1: When I was a a kid, I I always enjoyed art. I I always thought I'd be have some kind of artistic life. Um, I was, I loved ballet. I was a little ballet dancer and I always wrote. I wrote short stories from the time I was a really young kid just for fun. Um, And I went to college. I thought I'd be an English major, but I didn't like the way English was taught. Um, Yeah, I I still have some, some of the same you know, questions about that. Uh, So I wanted something broader, I guess. And um, uh, I had taken an anthropology class in high school and I loved it. And I thought, wow, the study of man, you know, it's so broad. Like I was, I've always looked for what's the broadest possible category I could be involved in to allow maximum freedom. So um, yeah, so I studied anthropology, but I, I didn't want to be an anthropologist. Because I thought, oh, well, that just means you're gonna—you have to be an academic, right? And and I didn't like the monograph; it seemed very confined in how you can talk about what you've learned. I mean, there are anthropologists who have experimented and they've written fiction and and, and other things, um, but I thought, well, that's that really not for me. Um, and uh, so I moved to New York and you know did different things, uh, worked on Wall Street um and then I just said well you know art school would be good but I I wanted a really broad art school I was like I don't want I don't want someone to tell me oh I have to learn perspective you know I'm like why it was only invented in the renaissance you 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 don't necessarily have to use it um so fortunately you know I knew about um someone a friend had gone to CalArts and uh, that was a super good fit for me. Art was a good, you know, was a good fit. It was, and it was probably the only art school I could probably get into because, uh, you know, I didn't have the conventional portfolio, let's say, but they, they were open to that. Um, you know, they accepted my writing and whatever, uh, and I didn't really know the faculty there, um, Baldessari and Michael Asher and those people, but, um, I, you know, I quickly figured it out and, uh, so I, I was comfortable there and I was also comfortable with the, the amount of theory that was going on. Cause I was familiar with a lot of that theory from studying um, sociology. So I was like, oh yeah, I know about Marx. You know, I know about
0: the Frankfurt School. This seems cool. How would you describe getting like a Guggenheim and being part of the Venice Biennale affecting the trajectory of your career or did it shape your, your work do you think?
1: I mean, I was happy to get to Guggenheim, but
0: I did, I did for a while say the
1: curse of the Guggenheim. I felt a a very uh, heavy responsibility when I got that. Um, And I mean, looking back, it wasn't that much money, but it was a shitload of money for me. Um, And uh, I think I did, you know, I did make a lot of work when I, when I got that, but um, I felt, I did feel the weight of it. Uh, And yeah so it, it, was, it was super beneficial uh, but um yeah that that was
0: a it was a little weird at, for, at first um, what does the weight mean what does that mean the weight of it
1: you know that they've given me this money i better produce i better do something with it this is a once in a lifetime and you know, i'd caution people against this this is a, my once in a lifetime opportunity um i'll never you know i'll never get another grant or i'll never have this much money at one time um yeah, I wonder if people feel that when they get to MacArthur, because that's that's like a serious amount of money. Um, and uh, yeah, we're we're not used to that as artists. We're used to getting the reward after we've made it, right? So somebody buys it and that affirms it. But to give it to us in advance is kind of like, oh wow, I better I better get I better put my get my skates on and do something.
0: But do but- you think that year helped you evolve? You know, to make a greater progress that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Uh, yeah, for sure.
1: Um, and, uh, I, I, I I continue to teach, um, looking back, I, I probably would have been more adventurous some with that. Um, I would, you know, just said, well, okay, I'm going to go someplace or do something. Uh, but you know, it's hard. Like if, especially if you have an apartment or a studio, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to jinx, it. you don't want to jeopardize it. So um, yeah, it would have been more adventurous probably. The, um, the Venice Biennale was a great thing, a great opportunity for me. I, I look at the work I made, it's kind of funny. I, 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 yeah, why did I make that? But I met a lot of people and that was like a lot of my generation and that time was really good. The, the, um, the early 90s, the, the market had tanked. You know, I've been through many, several market tankings, <laughs> and they always work out. Um, you know, a lot of the the British young British artists who I knew, you know, they were coming up at that time, and, and I was showing a lot in Europe. Um, and <clears throat> I don't know, in that Biennale, you know, there were. It was just a good time, like you know, all the artists sitting around at the, you know, pizza parlor, like, I don't know, like Rick Rick Taravonesia and Damien Hurst and, you know, um, and, and we were all young and we're like, holy shit, we got in this thing. It's really, it's really cool, you know? Um, so I have, I have good memories of that um, and good memories of that time. Uh, artists having, you know, nobody was buying and that was good. That, that freed us to a certain extent. Um, I mean, we complained, of course, but...
0: Let's well, talk about a little bit more what that means when, that it freed you to have no one buying. Because most people <laughs> would feel, you know, might not, might not be obvious why that happens. Well, you know,
1: I don't know, kind of like our many of our teachers who who came up in the '70s. You know, there was no market. There was a, you know, there was there was a market, but not for for what they were doing. Um, you know, the Abstract Expressionists maybe had a market. Maybe David Hockney had a market, but um, you know, many artists there's no market. And so so you know, I'll just do whatever I want. Um, and uh, you know, looking back, I think that. Like I, I like the artist Tracy Emin. Um, <clears throat> I like her as a writer, and I and I, and I really liked her early work, um, particularly her video work. You know, if she were as rich and famous as she is now, would she have made that work? I don't know. I, I you know she 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 did it because she she could, and nobody was besides the other artists paying attention. I mean, then she quickly became famous, but. Um, you know, even Damien Hirst, like, he's like, well, I'll just do something completely outrageous and, and get a shark, you know. <laughs> I don't know why I'm talking about Damien, but. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, you know, money can be a problem. Money can definitely be a problem in the, in, in art making too much money t- uh, too soon. I mean, I sound like an old,
0: you know, daddy's saying that, but um so I'm also curious about your piece called The Complete Works of Jane Austen. Can you describe that and talk about it and how it came about? I guess the assumption is that,
1: um, that art it qualifies experience, right? It, 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 it describes qualities. Um, so I was interested in how one quantifies experience. What, how, how big is it? I see you. Um, right, <laughs> how, how, how big is something, right? So um, how big am I? Like what's what's the size? How do you measure it? Uh, So Jane Austen was like the data set. I admire Jane Austen a great deal and read her when I was a kid and and thought she was funny and things. Um, So if I look at you, I I can't tell. You could have just finished a really fantastic book, right? And it's completely changed your thinking but I can't, I can't see it, I can't quantify it. Right? So I wanted to be able to see it. So I wanted to show uh, her magnitude or whatever, so her, her, her volume. So I <clears throat> calculated my rate of reading and my lung capacity and what it would take, how much air it would take to read the complete works. And I came up with a number, which I think was like hundred thousand liters. And then I had a, uh, an inflatable balloon made to that quantity and,
0: uh, and that was my tribute to her. And where did it sail, this balloon? Did you let it go or?
1: It didn't sail, it, it sat on the ground uh, and it was first made for a garden um, at a, a, a castle in, in Germany. So it sat in this really nice, um, very old garden which I thought was perfect for her. Uh, And then I guess people, you know, you could stand next to it and uh, you could measure yourself against it. So the complete works of Jane Austen is pretty big. What what would be the complete works of Meg Cranston at the time would have been maybe like a beach ball. (laughs) So (laughs) you see what I'm saying? So, and sculpture is a lot about that, you know, standing next to it. It, it. The scale of sculpture is usually human scale. So, you know, how much larger is it compared to the average, um, to the average human?
0: Right. And so, there's still this measurement, right, of what is our value? How big is our balloon?
1: Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you know, some some people are want, you know, mass audience. Not all artists get mass audience, um, but they, you have to have some audience. I would say you have to have some audience, which is, you know, maybe it's 10 people. Uh, They're probably musicians, you know, that make such difficult um, music that maybe they have an audience of a hundred, but that's a good audience that really understands. Um, Is that viable economically? Well, maybe not, but (laughs) you have to have at least for me, you know, if an artist says I just make work for myself, um, to me, that's an amateur. That's probably pretty hard to say. (laughs) That's pretty
0: rough, but. And why is it that the audience is important? Well, I think art forms, all
1: the art forms are, uh, are means to reach, to reach people, to reach an audience, to get, have a reception. Otherwise, you know, for me, I'm just happy. I could just think the thought, I don't really need to make it. I'm satisfied. Oh, that was a great idea. Now, I don't, you know, why bother making it? I make it because I want to communicate with somebody else. So, um, and if nobody understands, for me,
0: that's a failure. So you also mentioned that you like things that are quickly thrown together and sort of playful or childlike. What, why, and uh, as opposed to something, you know. Or, I guess, just talk about that, yeah.
1: It's just a preference, I guess. It's just an aesthetic that, uh, um, I think this was a quote from Nietzsche. Uh, uh, Everything good runs on light feet. So I like when things run on light feet, even if it, you know it's a serious issue or whatever. That the representation doesn't it doesn't feel so hard. <laughs> um, there's air, you know. It, there's uh, and it also I I I I used to use the term ramshackle. I, I like when things are a bit ramshackle, or li- or you know the touch is very light it's like okay they came together in this moment and then they could fly away again and and things you know paintings that are hundreds of years old can have that quality uh you know a bernini sculpture can have that quality of 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 that I don't know. for me it's a, 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 it's lifelike in the sense that it feels
0: i feel the possibility of change And that I, just made me think about one other thing, which is that our know, kids went to school together and how has being a mother affected your work or do you think it has?
1: Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's affected me as a person uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, think you, it gives you a chance to start artistically to watch people learn <laughs> up close. And then it does, it gives you a window into, wow, that's how we think, you know, or like you look at drawings of young kids, or even the way they say things, it's like, you know, that, um, you know, so you learn something about, you know, human, the human mind, <laughs> having a kid. Uh, and yeah, I mean, my son is not at all interested in art, which I, I see as a great triumph that I haven't uh, narcissistically, you know, coded him to be just like me. Um, and yeah, I think it's good. I mean, a female artist, it's it's kind of a thing. You know, I, I, I didn't talk very much about being a mother because in my work, in my, you know, teaching nor in my artwork because uh, I did fear I would be judged for that you know oh she's going to be flaky she's going to be you know um so I did fear that um I think it's female artists get judged for for having children more than men I mean you know the men they're having children all over the place um And then nobody ever asks them, you know, how has being uh, being a father affected your work? Or how about this one? How has being a really bad father (laughs) affected your work? (laughs) The history of male artists, they're not the best fathers I mean, This is mean to men, but historically, they haven't been the best fathers.
0: I happen to have a really good one, but... (laughs) But you're lucky, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, but that's really interesting to me, what you said about, you were afraid that being it's like the opposite of how women are judged outside of the art world. You're actually afraid that having, it would be a stigma to become a mother. And I guess, can you just tell me a little bit more about what that. I mean, I've had
1: literally had people say this to me that um, dealer, not my third dealer, but um, that uh, for women, been artists lo- love is the enemy. If they, you know, once they fall in love, they in love, forget it. They're done, or they're so busy thinking about love that they get distracted. And then when the kid comes, it's even worse. So I didn't want that assumption um, put on, you know, to affect me. So you, so caught- you know, I, I did crazy things. I, I, I did like a show in Germany three months after my son was born. I'm like, what the heck was I doing in Germany But I had a three-month-old But I was scared, you know, that I have to stay in the game.
0: Yeah. And so you were very conscious of that.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Now I think it was foolish, you know what I mean? It's like, who cares, right? But, um, uh, yeah, I was, I was taught as an artist to be competitive and, and um, you know, stay on it. It, it. it has to come first before everything. Um, you know, I was taught by pretty hardcore people. Who taught uh, you that? Oh, Baldessari. Sorry. And, uh, you know, to a certain extent, Asher. I mean, you know, uh, both of them, um, you know, they lived kind of monk-like existences to, you know, to, to foreground the art. And uh, I mean, John had children, but, but uh, you know, yeah. And, and otherwise, I mean, it takes a lot to be, a, you know, super successful, famous artist. It's a incredible amount of work, not that I ever achieved that, but it's, um, I, I I think, you know, when you see the, the level that some people are producing at, it's like, wow, you know, staffs of 40 people, and
0: I mean, they're doing it. <laughs> um, so did John Baldessari already have several sort of sayings that you have in your head that, like, whisper to? Johnisms? Oh, yeah, I have many. Johnisms, I
1: mean, we were very close friends for years and years and years. And, uh, yeah, one of my favorite, I have to say, my favorite Johnism is <clears throat> anything worth doing is worth doing badly. That's a very
0: liberating expression. That's puzzling to me. So, what, what do you mean? So, anything worth doing is worth doing badly. What does that mean? Yeah.
1: So, if it's worth doing, um, you know, the exhibition or making the film or whatever. It, it's going to happen that you're not going to be able to do it, everything you want to do. Right. you you're, but it's worth doing. So, okay. You know, I, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time, but it's, it's, it's worth doing. So tolerate that you're,
0: you possibly would do it badly. Doing and it badly is better than not doing it. So it frees you up to like, okay, I'm going to just do my best and I and let go
1: yeah 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 because over a long career you're going to make some stickers you know but then you don't even know I mean some of the works that that got for me that got you know recognition um are not at the moment my favorites and like what about this stuff and then it just changes um I mean we see it I don't know the current um Thing with Alice Neal, you know, she's getting a lot of attention, and and uh, you know, there are times when people are like, "Oh, Alice Neal," you know, they thought she's so conservative or whatever. Um, I don't remember. I always liked Alice Neal, but I in graduate school, I don't think I would have been talking about you know openly about Alice Neal, and but then times change,
0: things change. Thank you. I have one last question, which is. Do you see an end date will you ever stop making art or
1: I hope not I mean that's like that's like the big bonus prize of being an artist you you don't have to retire I mean we don't have that idea um and you can work I mean look at Matisse you know he's so incapacitated there he was in his bed with his scissors you know you don't you don't ever have to stop and and um, one of the nice things about the art, uh, art it's not 100% true, but but it, it, it is an ageist. Age is okay in art, unlike many other fields, right? So um, I, I'm, I think the new vogue, uh, the current vogue of old female artists is Is fantastic and hilarious. (laughs) I'm moving right into that, Natasha. Old, (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: there's no, it's inevitable.
1: (laughs) You know, on the other hand, it's it's kind of different. It takes a really long time to be a good painter or a good artist in general. You know, it's like so, um,
0: and to find that confidence, I think.
1: Yeah, and maybe for women more so because maybe they did you know, did have children or whatever, and they couldn't work at the same level, you know, Um and 50 plus is, you know, I know from my friends, it's like a good time. Like women can come really alive at that time. Um I don't know, men maybe too, but, but it, it, it's a cliche, but it's kind of, it's what I've seen happening. So the, uh, The old lady artist is 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 a good one. I like that.
0: Mm, Me too. Hold on, just another child, Nolan. Uh, Don't turn off the. I'm almost done with this interview. Please turn it off. Oh, I love what I love what you're wearing. You see how you, what you're wearing—it is, <laughs> yeah, is. is like it's with their. Uh, it's so <laughs> funny, it is. It's perfectly, uh, yeah. And we didn't plan ahead. We, it was just fresh. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Meg. I mean, I think um, I really appreciate you talking about all this, and um, and I, I love your work, and look forward to seeing what you're doing next. So
1: thank you very much. I enjoyed speaking with
0: you. Okay. Take care. That was my conversation with Meg Cranston that we recorded in July of 2021. This episode was produced by me, Natasha Madoff, and was edited by Carlos Bergs.